welcome back to the crossover across time podcast for another one of our bonus episodes this time we're doing our franchise focus for the portland trailblazers uh i'm your host karsten welcome to the show both new and uh experienced listeners alike we welcome you and appreciate the support um if you're new to the franchise focus segment here's how it works basically we look at a franchise in uh in more detail and take a little bit more time to talk about them and we do it in three different parts first we focus on the current team's uh direction and outlook over the last few seasons and what things look like going forward we then look at a historic uh, notable team from that franchise's history um, and then we finally look at a notable and or legendary player from that franchise's history. So we get a little bit of an opportunity to talk about every team in greater detail. Uh, the main reason we do this is because during the course of any given NBA regular season, you have a select set of teams you talk about as contending type teams. You have teams that are maybe, um, you know, have individual players that are making headlines, teams that make big moves. But it seems like, you know, anywhere from a couple of teams to a third of the teams in the NBA get little to no major media coverage in any given NBA season. And so doing our franchise focus ensures that we have some dedicated time for at least every franchise in the NBA so they can all, you know, feel a little bit of that love. And so today we're talking about the Trailblazers. We've only got a few more of these Uh, a little bit later today. We'll also do the Golden State Warriors. And then tomorrow we'll wrap it up with the Washington Wizards. So we're just about there. Um, but today, of course, we're talking Trailblazers and we'll start with the current Trailblazers direction. And um, for a lot of casual fans, they think the current direction should be trading Damian Lillard and starting it all over, um, you know, blank canvas fully. And I don't necessarily blame them for thinking that, you know, Damian Lillard has been the star for the Portland Trailblazers for uh, going on 11, 12, 13 seasons at this point. He's been phenomenal. No one is, um, anyone that's wanting Lillard to be traded is not doing it in the sense that he w- the Blazers would be better off without him. Far from it. They are looking for the Trailblazers to rebuild completely. And as long as Lillard's there, they're going to be, they're going to be somewhat okay. Because, uh, I mean, he's one of the great players um, of this generation. I mean, Behind, um, you know, a Steph Curry, a Reggie Miller, a Ray Allen, he's maybe one of the greatest shooters of all time. Um, depth, you know, range of shooting, shooting percentages, the confidence, the big time shots, he's got it all. You know, multiple time All Star, multi time All NBA, a member of the recently announced 75th anniversary team. Um, you know, and his numbers have been phenomenal this season alone. He averaged 32 points a game. I played 58 games, so a little bit of a limited schedule, but 32, 32 points a game, about seven assists and five rebounds. And that's maybe his best statistical season of his career right there with the 2020 season. Um, so he is far from, you know, waning in his career. He's 32 years old. He's maybe going to start to see a little bit of a drop, but he's still f- phenomenal. And he's, you know, far from any issue that Portland has the the concerns are just about you know what is the team around him what is the future for this trailblazers team as a whole you know that's where we get a little bit more um you know some questions rather than answers because again Lillard is fan- fantastic we also have Jeremy Grant on this team and he's 
a great versatile forward, a lot like his his dad, Harvey Grant. Um, he's a guy that can play the three or the four, you know, can score, can rebound, can defend, can do a lot of different things. He's a great piece for them. I like him there. I like Anthony Simons too. The young shooting guard, he's really coming to his own. He's averaging over 20 points a game this season. He's a great fit along Lillard if you're just looking for that backcourt scoring. Um, and then you get your defense with Grant and maybe some of the other guys. Um, those three, I think, you know, great pieces. And there's no problem with those at all. But there's just a lot of questions about what the rest of the roster looks like around that. I think the recent addition at the trade deadline of Matisse Seibel, I think that's a great pick. You know, I think maybe he you lump him with Grant, Simons, and Lillard. You know, Seibel is a defensive-focused guy. He can hit your open threes. He can, um, you know, work within a team system. But he's gonna he's gonna be a defensive focus, and I think that's what's great about him. I really like Matisse Seibel as a player. So that's your four. But then outside of that, you know, you go to Nurkic, the starting center, and again, he kind of fits the mold of some players we've talked about where he has consistent lingering injury issues. He did play 52 games this season, which is not terrible. I mean, it's not great that he missed about 30 games, but over the last um, four seasons, um, he's, you know, averaged maybe about 30 to 40 games a season, and that's just not enough i mean when he plays he's very solid he's an above average center he's he can he's very dynamic um you know i like his style of play but he's just not there enough and then on top of that the depth is you know it's it's interesting in in um if we want to put it that way you know um justice winslow has shown some flashes of some unique abilities as far as being able to make plays at that forward type spot, um, but he's had injury troubles himself. So that's hurt their cause. Cam Reddish, another trade deadline acquisition. He's just a guy that can get some points sometimes. Okay. Shooter. I'm not entirely sold on Reddish, but I think that's an okay be- uh, bench piece. And they give up Josh Hart, who was one of their better players this season. Um, so that was unfortunate. Instead, you know, Shaden Sharp, the rookie, I liked his potential. You know, he's another dynamic, young, scoring guard, athleticism off the charts. Um, I'm not sure he really fills a need as far as a skill set that the Trailblazers didn't already have, but he's a great player nonetheless. Drew Eubanks, uh, who was a a two-way type player um, a couple of years ago, he's really emerged as a very solid backup big. Um, Either either the four or the five, he can stretch the floor a bit. He works for you. Um, There's just not, you know, there's not really a potent, second unit here as far as you know instant offense coming off the bench i mean the closest you'd probably get is uh either reddish or shade and sharp and again neither of them are really world beaters you know sharp maybe has a little bit of that potential um but you know that'd be my big question there um that front court depth outside of eubanks you have trendon watford kevin knox Nizir Little, I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't feel fully complete. And then the big, there's the the big questions with the Trailblazers really are, you know, who really is that secondary star with Lillard? I mean, Simons is emerging. He's maybe close to what C.J. McCollum was when he was, or getting to that point, maybe within the next year or two, to what C.J. McCollum was when he was with Portland. Jeremy Grant is solid. He kind of fills some of those roles they had when, the team was really good with, um, you know, it was Lillard, McCollum, um, 
And then they had that interesting forward group that wasn't really that great individually, but it worked within that team concept. It was uh, Harkless and Al Aminu. And they did have Nurkic at the starting center, I believe, at that point. Um, so that worked for them, you know. And, um, yeah, it was that 20, I want to say 2019 team. Um, let me see if I can pull that up here to make sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, Aminu was in there. Maurice Harkless, yeah, it was 2019. But that was really kind of the main rotation. And Nurkic played a bunch of games, but it, it worked in that case. you know. And Grant is better than either of those guys by far, um, Aminu or Harkless. And so, you know, he fills that role. Thiable, I think, fits that. If you're going for, you know, trying to recreate what that 2019 team was and those really competitive Trailblazers teams of recent history, um, I guess you're doing all right. Um, but then the other question is, uh, I guess your head coaching position. And I feel bad talking about it because I do like Chauncey Billups, um, especially as a player. He's one of the more underrated players in NBA history, a finals MVP, um, a true credit to the profession. I mean, a great guy all around. He's finished his second full you know, season as a head coach at the NBA level. And he hasn't been a bad coach. Uh, you certainly couldn't accuse him of that, but compare you're comparing him to um Terry Stotts who had been a longtime coach uh in the league especially with the Trailblazers led them to great success and since he's left um the team hasn't been a stellar but again it's not all about Chauncey Billups you know and I think maybe that's really the big takeaway for these last couple of seasons you know Portland just has not had the best shake of things when it comes to you know consistency being able to put your full team on the floor more often than not, you know, the injury bug, um, the head coach who has potential still, but is still, you know, learning the ropes in the NBA. So there's a mix of those things, you know, and they are also working with some new uh, front office people. Joe Cronin, I guess, is working there uh, kind of GM position at the moment. And so he's kind of cutting his teeth as well and figuring out what the, uh, what this roster is going to look like as far as, you know, trying to build a, uh, a competitive team in the West again. So it's just an odd mix, you know, and again, that's why I started off with, you know, fans for Lillard's sake, they feel like they want to see him on a different team. That's ready to compete more quickly. They want to see him get a championship because he's been one of the more, you know, hardworking, quiet, impressive, non, braggadocious players in in recent memory a guy committed to the idea of you know playing a full career for a franchise he wants to be in portland you know and that's really the tough thing when you have a guy especially in this recent era who is committed he wants to be in a place long term a place that drafted him he feels he owes you know that franchise his career he's had great runs already in portland and they just have not been able to build that consistent team around him you know, you compare it to a team like like the Bucks, who have Giannis and they've able they've been able to build a steady core at this point and they're consistently a top team in the Eastern Conference. You know, that would be the hope for a team like Portland, but it just hasn't worked out quite yet. And that's why excuse me. That's why fans of Damian Lillard want to see him go to another team where there may he maybe has a chance to win a championship in the near near future. But again, if it's Lillard's choice, he's going to stay. And I think that empowers Portland, but it also has got to, you know, be one of several wake up calls to say, Hey, 
you've got to, you know, whatever the solution is, um, both small change or drastic change, uh, combination, one or the other, you've got to figure that out soon. And so, you know, for Trailblazers fans, I'm sure there's, you know, some frustration, some disappointment with the team's recent direction. You know, I mentioned the 2019 team. That was their last really competitive squad. They made the Western Conference Finals 2020 and 2021. They lost in the first round. In the last four years, we've seen Damian Lillard at his best, in his prime, at his peak. But we've also seen the Trailblazers regress into the worst that they've been since he's been on the roster as far as the overall team record and, you know, the cohesion of that squad. And so that's really, you know, if you're a fan, you love to watch Lillard, see what he's doing. There are some young pieces that have some potential. There's some elements of the roster that I think can work going forward, but you've just got to figure out, you know, is Chauncey Billups going to be able to make that trans transition from, you know, a, an exciting coaching prospect to a legitimate established NBA head coach. And then also, um, you know, what's that for sure lineup? Are they just trying to recreate that 2019 type of team? Are they going to try and build something different and or better? Um, it's an interesting mix. You know, if I'm a trailblazers fan, I'm, I'm just full of questions and that's kind of my big takeaway, but hopefully they're able to figure it out for everyone's sake. You know, I'd like to see the trailblazers competitive again. It'd be a lot of fun, I think. So that's the current team's direction. Let's go ahead and shift gears. And we're going to talk about their, uh, their greatest team. I would say their championship team. Um, there are teams in their history that had better records that had a greater assemblage of talent, you know, and there was even a team I probably could have talked about that would have been really interesting. The early eighties trailblazers, they had a mix of guys that would go on to great success in Denver. Um, Calvin Nat, Wayne Cooper, fat lever, along with some of their stars. I think it was what the 84 team. Yeah. Paxson Thompson, along with Nat, Fat Lever, Wayne Cooper, and a rookie Clyde Drexler. There was the makings of a seriously potent late 80s Portland Trailblazers team ahead of schedule. Um, and that might be a team for future conversation. But, um, <clears throat> and, you know, if you've listened to these past Franchise Focus episodes, you know that generally I've focused on teams that are kind of forgotten teams or teams less talked about. But it feels like this Trailblazers team, when you're talking about championship winning teams, this is the one that really, you know, one of several that gets forgotten, especially because it was in the 70s, but also because small market team, you know, and the story gets forgotten. Uh, part of that because of Bill Walton's individual legacy. But we got to talk about the 77, the 1977 Portland Trailblazers, because it's a great team. You know, it's a great story. Um there's I'm sure there's probably already a documentary out about this team. If there is, I've got to find it and check it out. If there isn't, somebody should make it because it'd be phenomenal. Um, Here's the basic rundown, 49 and 33 in the regular season, second in the Pacific Division, not a world beater in the regular season, a very, very competitive team, a top 10 type team in the league. And then they go on to have a great playoff run, go to the finals against the favored 76ers and the recently... Um, 
the new to the NBA at that time, Julius Irving. And so a lot of people, I'm sure at that time, if you're in the media, you're picking the Sixers to win that championship easily. But the Trailblazers win it in a six-game series. The fans storm the court. It's one of the great things for the NBA as a whole to have a small market franchise like this win a championship, have a great team all around. It, it was a great story. And again, the team gets forgotten. Of course, Bill Walton, we know. He was uh, the MVP the following season, but he was an MVP-level player at that time. I mean, he was never a big scorer. Liken him, if you need to, to the old-school Jokic, but a little less good, not as stellar of a passer, but a much better defender. That would be probably the best equivalent we could give you. You know, Hall of Famer, member of the 75th anniversary team multiple time, uh, two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA. With Walton, nowadays it seems the whole conversation is going to focus around his injuries and how that took away from what would have been one of the great center careers of all time. And that is true. But his early contributions, this championship team, his run in Portland for, you know, four ish seasons, you know, that's, that's great. He still had a great, you know, time span there. Four seasons is still very solid. Um, You know, this season, yeah, about 18 and a half points per game, 14 and a half rebounds, four assists, 3.2 blocks and one steal. And those are phenomenal numbers. Again, the scoring's not there. Um, He's not scoring as much or passing as much as a Jokic type player, but he's a much better rebounder, much better defender. And he still has that dynamic game where he can, you know, make plays as a center, you know, run the offense a little bit at times. And so that was phenomenal. Um, excuse me. The rest of the team was great, though. Their leading scorer was um, Maurice Lucas, his front court mate. Um, one of the, you know, underrated players. He was a multiple time all-star himself, uh, a former ABA star who had you know moved to the NBA with the merger, and he was an instant 20-point-per-game, 10-rebound-per-game kind of guy. He was an enforcer. He was his, One of his nicknames was the enforcer. He was a guy that was going to, you know, in an era where fights were pretty common in the NBA, he was going to be the guy that would step in and, and throw some punches if needed. So he was the enforcer. Bill Walton inside the star, even though he wasn't technically the leading scorer. And then you just had a solid cast around him. Lionel Hollins, a future head coach in his own right. He was the point guard on this team, you know, pure point guard. He made an all-star team the following season, Um, you know, picking up some assists, some steals, some scoring, you know, just all around solid play at the point guard spot, filling in that, that role. Bob Gross was hit, was the uh, small forward on this team. Uh, Decent little score, all around players some defensive ability as well. Um, And then Dave Twardzik, was the, uh, excuse me, Hollins was the shooting guard. That's my mistake. And Twardzik was technically the point guard. I mean, those two pretty interchangeable as far as um, roles on this team. Twardzik, a, f- a former ABA guy himself, um, and defensive specialist, got a lot of steals, great, you know, great player, and it was a great lineup. And then off the bench, they had Larry Steele, who actually was the first player to lead the league um, in steals per game as soon as they started tracking that stat officially. So they've got, you know, a couple of guys who are great ball hawks on this team getting some turnovers uh, in their favor. So that was a great thing to have. 
Johnny Davis, another good guard. He's more of a scoring guy coming off the bench. Um, Herm Gilliam, uh, another another guard. So they've got the great guard depth. You know, Lucas and Walton were going to play big minutes. They, you know, rotate in a lot of guards around him. Um, Robin Jones was a backup center alongside uh, Lloyd Neal. So they had some solid, you know, stout guys in there. Lloyd Neal um, early in his career was a, a 13 point per game, 12 rebound per game kind of guy. And so um, he was, you know, a well-qualified backup. They had a great, you know, depth on this team. And um, again, <clears throat> it was Walton and Lucas that were going to lead it. They had some great, you know, play with Hollins, Twardzik, Davis, Gross, Gilliam, Gil- Steele. I mean, that kind of mix, whoever those supporting guys all are, they were all fairly well qualified. They could play, you know, whatever they needed to do along with what Walton and Lucas did. But that home court, that was really, you know, it's a cliche at this point to think of a home court atmosphere as a sixth man or you know, in the in football world, it's the 12th man. But in this case, it really was true. You look at the highlights, the the game footage from those games and how excited that Portland crowd was and how great that home cut atmosphere was. I mean, that was a big part that really fed this team and especially into that final series. Um, it was phenomenal. And again, <clears throat> they face a Sixers squad that has not only the recently added to the NBA, Dr. J, Julius Serving. I mean, he was a one-man machine, 30 points a game, seven rebounds, five assists, nearly three steals and a block. I mean, he was doing everything for this team. But they have Doug Collins, who was an all-star himself. They have George McGinnis, another former uh, ABA guy who was a, uh all-star level pro, uh, or all-star level NBA talent, I should say, um, with both. Denver and Philadelphia. I mean, he was 20 points per game, 11 rebounds per game um, in Philadelphia this season. So they've got two ABA all-stars, Doug Collins, Daryl Dawkins, a great dunker, you know, Henry Bibby and world be free dynamic guards, especially world be free. He was a future all-star in his own right. Caldwell Jones, another ABA standout who was a great inside presence defensively and rebounding. They have a ton of talent on this team. And the Trailblazers win this series with great team play and a great home court atmosphere. And, you know, for this to be the first championship after the NBA ABA merger, um, I think it was fantastic to see that ABA talent on both sides showing that they could be, they were valid pros um, towards it. Um, Maurice Lucas on the Portland side of it. Dr. J, um, George McGinnis, uh, Caldwell Jones on the other side of it. You've got a mix of ABA talent. They're playing on a, a level field with these N- NBA pros um, contributing. And and that was, I think, a great success along with the Trailblazers championship itself. So um, otherwise, you know, great team had to recognize them. One small um, additional note before we move on. In the offseason before the season, the Trailblazers, along with, of course, um, Maurice Lucas, Twardzik, they had a number of other, you know, they had some players they acquired from the ABA and stuff like that. They had also acquired a young, excuse me, sorry, a young 
inside presence by the name of Moses Malone. Can you imagine if they had kept Moses Malone on the squad, what it would have looked like? Would it have thrown things off? They wouldn't have won the championship. Would he have secured the future in lieu of Bill Walton and the Trailblazers would have been gone on to be consistently impressive throughout the seventies and the early eighties. Um, but Moses Malone with Bill Walton and Maurice Lucas, that would have honestly been one of the all time front courts. That would have been phenomenal, but um, yeah, just a fun footnote, but otherwise a great team and one that gets forgotten, I think. So just wanted to highlight them. And when we're talking about things that get forgotten, teams, players, et cetera, a player that I also think gets forgotten, and this leads us into our um, player focus, our third segment. We're going to talk about Jerome Kersey, who is a key part of those, um, excuse me, mid to late 80s, early 90s Blazers teams that brought the team back into competitiveness and championship contention later on. Um, you know, he was drafted uh, second round pick. You know, solid prospect, not a hugely touted guy out of um, Longwood College, now known as Longwood University. Not really, of course, a big basketball school, but, um, you know, he was a solid player there. He has, you know, school records um, throughout. He actually led Division II players in rebounding um, in his senior year. But, um, yeah, great, you know, solid college career at a under, you know, less known college, drafted in the second round, gets a chance. His first few years, he was a bench piece, um, you know, only starting a couple games in his first two seasons. In 87, he, um, you know, played all 82 games, started eight games, but he played a lot more minutes, 25 minutes a game. His numbers went up. So in 88, he gets a chance to start for the full season, and he has his best uh, statistical year in 1988, his first season as a starter. Uh, about 19 points a game, eight rebounds, three assists, one and a half steals, and about one block. Um, so a super dynamic guy. I mean, he's a 6'7", 215, small forward, um, athletic and um, skilled enough to play probably a shooting guard if you really had to, um, but at the same time physical enough and a great rebounder. You could probably play him at a power forward too. Um, so he had some versatility to his game, but he was also a high flyer. He was a great dunker. Um, he actually <clears throat> competed with Michael Jordan in the dunk contest um, in the in that same 1988 season, I believe, was when he competed in the dunk contest. So, you know, a great dunker, but also a great player, you know, points and rebounds and being able to do a lot of other things, too. Um, and that was really where the Trailblazers were starting to, you know, be that competitive team again. Uh, you know, in 88, they win. 50 or more games for the first time in a while. Um, they uh, then following season, they drip drop off a little bit, but that's where they make the head coaching change to Rick Adelman. And that's where the trailblazers really took off again, became championship contenders in the early nineties. Um, and at that point he was still the starter. He was still a solid contributor. His numbers would start to dip a little bit, um, you know, missed a handful of games across those seasons um, but his productivity would just go down a bit. You know, he wasn't as, you know, quite the same player, but he was still productive. But also he would start to get kind of phased out a bit due to the emergence of Cliff Robinson, um, who you think of a Rick Adelman team, you think of a team that's ahead of the curve as far as, you know, the offense a little bit, the way it's run, you know, emphasis on shooting 
to a degree. And so Cliff Robinson's ability to do that um, for a team, you know, compared to Jerome Kersey, who is never a great shooter. I mean, he can hit an open shot if you need him to, but uh, he's not going to light up the uh, light up the floor shooting the basketball. And so to be able to make that change um, Clifford Robinson in, you know, being able to shoot those three point type shots, that was a big part of, you know, that trailblazers team moving forward in their direction. But, um, you know, Kersey was still a solid player in he, by the time he left the trailblazers, he played until 1995. He continued to be a bench piece for them into the mid nineties was still a contributor. By the time he left, he was a franchise leader. He was top five in most categories, points, rebounds, um, assists was just about there minutes played games played uh field goals blocks i mean he was you know one of the key franchise contributors of all time by the time he left um after that he would go on to have a little bit of a journeyman stint golden state for a year the lakers for a year um both of those stops he would be starting um both those teams and and be productive in his role there on to seattle and then in 99, he landed on the San Antonio Spurs and was a, a bench piece for them in 99 when they won their first NBA championship. So that's one of our nice notes for the story that Kirstie, despite never being an all-star or an all-NBA, an all-defensive, any of those kind of things, he got a championship. And that's kind of a consolation, something that helps him be recognized for um, his stellar playing career. Um after that, he played the next season in San Antonio as well. His final season was in Milwaukee with the Bucks, and then he called it a career in 2001 after being drafted in 1984. Uh, he's a part of that famed 1984 NBA draft, so that's another little notch to his uh, career belt. But, yeah, phenomenal career. I mean, great player. Gets kind of forgotten. A couple of notes with his story in general. Uh, we mentioned Longwood College where he uh, you know, played and, and went to school. He did not graduate on the time of uh, moving to the NBA. He only needed a couple more classes to be able to graduate. And it was in 2006 that he finally graduated, um, ended up completing that schoolwork. So that's cool to see. Um, for me, a guy who's been a part of um, varying levels of education, you know, in within my family and, um, you know, immediate um connections to see that kind of a story where a player goes back to school, finishes that up, gets that pride of being able to um, graduate, get a high, a college degree. That's always some great stuff to see. Um, unfortunately for, uh, for the basketball world and for the Portland um, trailblazers organization, the family, the community, um, we have lost Jerome Kersey. He passed away in 2015 uh, due to pulmonary embolism. And um, it's just a shame. I mean, he wasn't uh, too old. He was 52 years old, but um, it's a shame to have lost him. But uh, hopefully in this little brief recount of, you know, some of the highlights of his career and what he meant to the Trailblazers and, uh, you know, the NBA as a whole, we can, you know, pay tribute to him a little bit, recognize his legacy. So, yeah, Jerome Kersey, great player, definitely gone too soon. But, um, you know, someone to remember 
for a long time. But um, that takes care of our franchise focus in general. I uh, want to thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. If you want to check out our Instagram page, that's crossover across time, all one word on Instagram, no caps. We uh, share content from the show along with doing our best to share content from across the NBA. So it's a great all in one place to stay up to date on what's going on in the NBA. So check that out. Um, we, we thank you all again for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Um, we should have one more bonus episode tonight being our franchise focus for the golden state warriors, uh, after which we'll have our normal Friday show and, uh, our final bonus episode being the franchise focus for the Washington wizards, both of those on Friday. So again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back with you, uh, relatively soon. Thanks for listening.